tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And this is part two of our webinar that we had in uh, partnership with the folks at Neighborhood Cats called Targeted TNR and Getting the Most Bang for Your Buck. This is part two of a two-hour session that we held back in May, and I hope you'll enjoy it. If you'd like to watch the video or get access to the handouts, you can go to communitycatspodcast.com slash TNR to get more information about this session, as well as our other upcoming free webinars, our Trapper Certification Workshop, and videos of our, of our other sessions and general information. So enjoy the podcast. I hope you're all having a good summer, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. Um, I want to start with a question that Susie forwarded, because I think it's such a good question. It's from uh, Tina Perez, and she asked, the whole idea of targeting sounds good in theory, but when you have individual trappers and people who don't know each other, how do you make it a community effort? I think that the first part of my answer to that would be to understand that Trap neuter return in the United States has a has a history that goes back into the early 1990s when it was first introduced on a large scale, and that history has been very much based on individual trappers working on their own, grassroots being the foundation of the work that's done out in the field. So it hasn't developed in an organized community level way. So when you start to introduce community level concepts and strategies you're swimming against the historical tide, but I think you're also swimming with the evolution of the field. So understand that it does require a fair amount of explaining and people doing things differently. And the other thing I would point out is that you can't control what other people are doing. And because of this historical trend of TNR being a very individualistic grassroots technique, there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to continue on the way that they have. That you know they they respond like um, not strategically. It's like whoever calls first or whatever moves them to go help somebody. They're not thinking strategically or geographically, and that may not change. So you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do. You can use your time and your efforts to work in a targeted way. So we have a couple of volunteers in Jersey City, New Jersey, just fabulous volunteers, and they do TNR. They work in the same area, and they uh, are proceeding block by block through that particular community. And then what happens is other people see you doing that. And some of them will become interested in learning and start to change their approach. So you become kind of a model for how to go about it. Also think about funding that often grants. If, if you get funding for a TNR project, propose something that's targeted, and then the availability of resources will help people to, to um, join you and to do this project. So you know, recognize you're being a bit of a pioneer and not everybody's going to agree with you, but if you stick to it and you continue to talk to people about why this is the best approach, if you believe that, you will end up making progress, not all at once, but over time. Okay. So that said, the first part of the presentation was really about the theory of targeting and why it's effective and showing you examples. But the second half is going to be about how do you actually do it? 
So let's start off with going back to Farrellville, but now with a more kind of realistic distribution of community cats. So you recall in our first hypothetical, the community cat population was spread out evenly with 25 cats in each zip code. That's not the reality in most communities. In most communities, there are areas that have higher concentrations than others. So in this version of Farrellville, we see that zip code number three has probably as many cats as the other three zip codes combined. How do you identify that? And remember, when we talk about targeting, our ideal target is an area of high need, which is where there's a lot of cats. So we want to be able to identify zip code number three as where we're going to put our resources. How do you identify that? Well, you can look at your local open admission shelter. And if they're not, they can start tracking intake by location. And you can see just from the data where the most cats are coming in from. If you do that, if you look at shelter data, always take the data that is about the zip code the shelter is located in with a grain of salt. Because typically what happens is when cats come in and they don't know where they came from, they'll enter the zip code of the shelter as a default. That It may still well be the highest one, but just realize you're going to have to kind of interpret that. If you're not a shelter or there isn't an open admission shelter operating or the data isn't available, you can track your own calls. And when people call and they ask for help, whether you can assist them or not, ask where they are. Where are the cats? What's the street? What's the zip code? And start to keep track of that. And you'll start to see a pattern of where these calls are coming from. And then lastly, there's the concept that I call tribal knowledge, which is if you've been doing this work, if you've been working with community cats for some period of time, you just know. You may not have data specifically to back you up, but you know from your experience where most of the cats are. And, and we're talking animal control officers, groups, shelters. You can just start kind of surveying people who have experience in the field, and they will help you identify where the areas of high need are. Another great way to identify an area of high need is through mapping. And this is just an example this again, New York City, and let's suppose we were looking at each one of these pins was a group of cats. You can see, like we were looking at criminal act, you know, homicide activity, there are patterns. There are areas that are concentrated. So if I was looking to target part of New York City and I had mapped intake, then you can see like there's a pretty strong concentration right where that red circle is now. And that would be a potential area to go in to target. And you can do this kind of GIS mapping pretty easily these days. You can literally do it on Google Maps, or there are programs out there where you can, let's say you've got an Excel sheet with a lot of location data on it. You can dump that into one of these software programs that you'll find online. There used to be one called Batch Geo. I'm not sure if that's B-A-T-C-H-G-E-O, but if not, there are other ones out there and they, they charge by the month, but you can just basically rent them for a month do your data dump, get your maps, and then come back out. Also, catstats.org is a program to run by neighborhood cats. If you go to catstats.org, that is a colony online colony database that also provides mapping tools. Now, another way that you can identify high need areas is the correlation between poverty and cat populations. And that's something, again, people who have done this work for a while are familiar with that the more economically challenged parts of the community tend to be the ones with the larger free roaming cat populations. 
And there could be any number of reasons for that, lack of services, distance from the shelter, lots of other things to be worried about besides getting the cats fixed. But this was a really interesting study that was done by Gary Petronic, where he correlated, he found there was a correlation between cat intake in Boston and premature human mortality. And premature human mortality was a proxy for, in his study, for poverty. And the map that he produced is the one on the left that says annual cat intakes per 1,000 persons by neighborhood. And you can see there's that orange band in the very middle of Boston. I think that's Roxbury, North Dorchester, South Dorchester, and MP. I'm not forgetting what that stands for. Somebody can probably remind me at the questions box. What those at the time of this study, it's about 2010, where the most cats were coming from into the Boston shelter. And that map on the right is something that I pulled, and that is income levels. They use premature human mortality. I thought, well, why don't we just use income? So the map on the right, the darker red and the darker orange are the lowest income parts of Boston. And you can see almost a a one-for-one correlation between the orange on the map to the left and the red and deep orange on the map to the right, which shows that most of the cats were coming from the poorest parts of Boston. So poverty, you know, when you're trying to identify where to go, that's a great proxy. We can also ask ourselves, you know, we're going to have to ask ourselves how many cats are in the target area, right? Because the idea is that you're going to aim for a high percentage of the cats, right? You're looking to get as many of them as close to 100% theoretically as possible, right? Especially on the colony level. So how do you how do you arrange that? How do you budget for how many surgeries you need if you have no idea how many cats are in the target area? So this is kind of a formula that I developed while I was working with PetSmart Charities and we were doing targeted TNR grants. And that was a question that, of course, came up right away was, well, how do I know what size grant I need if I don't have any idea how many cats are in my target area? So we started off with the research had suggested that you divide the human population by six. So that's what we started doing. And what we consistently found was that people ran out of cats. And we came to the conclusion that divide by six was overestimating on a pretty consistent basis. I went into the literature of where that divide the human population by six figure came from. And what I found was a lot of double counting. They were adding up cats that were fed every day at the same location, cats who were fed once in a while, and cats who were fed like once a year. So that was the same cat being counted three or four times. When you only counted cats that were fed daily, the formula that came out of that was divide the human population by 15. So we started using that and we stopped having every project overestimating the number of cats. So this is not scientific. If somebody's interested, I can send you the white paper that discusses where divide human population by 15 came from. But it has proved to be quite workable. But that's an average, you know, that's sort of an average across all communities. Whatever that number gives you, if you're working in an area that's rural and there's a lot more ground space, or you're working in a very warm climate, so kit mortality is not as high. And if there's been no prior TNR done in that area, then you're probably going to have more cats than if you divide the human population by 15. Conversely, if you're working in a very dense urban area where there's a lot less ground space, because remember, community cats are on the ground, they're not living in the skyscrapers. If you're in a cold climate and kid mortality is higher, or if there's been a lot more TNR, 
then you're going to have fewer cats. So this is more or just as much art uh, than science. But what you're trying to do at the beginning of a targeted project is just get into the ballpark. You're not going to really know how many cats are there until you're actually in the field and working. And then you'll start to get a much better idea. This is just to get you started. It's to get you close. It's so that you're not going into an area with a thousand cats and only planning on doing a hundred surgeries. It will change. This number will change as you develop more and more knowledge. Again, it's just to get you started. So once you have an estimate on the number of cats, then you have to ask yourself, well, then how many surgeries do we need? Again, this is for planning purposes. It's not, this is not a goal. It's to help you budget and to plan and to assess what your resources are and what you need. So we're aiming to get a substantial percentage of the cats when we're looking at this in the beginning. So what I found was successful when I was managing these projects was if you aim to do 50% or more of the number you came up with as your estimate. So that gives you a lot of leeway. If your estimate is too uh, too high, then 50% is going to get you probably 70% of the cats. If your estimate was too low, or that maybe I think I just reversed that. But anyway, when your estimate on the number of cats is too high or too low, aiming right for 50% is probably going to get you in a very good area. And if you are proceeding strategically and doing a colony at a time and making sure you get as close to 100% as you can within the areas you're working, aiming for 50% in terms of the number of surgeries, it worked most of the time. So let's say you estimate there are 2,000 cats that you want to be able to go in there with 1,000 surgeries. And my experience will get you pretty good results. So now what if you go through this exercise, you figure out that zip code three is an area of high need. You've estimated the number of cats. You know, you've estimated there are 40 community cats in zip code number three, but you've only got like 10 surgeries. That's the most you can get. You don't have the funding or you don't have the surgical capacity. And you realize I can't get 50%. I can't aim for 50%. I'm not going to get a substantial percentage of the cats in zip code number three. So does that mean you should just abandon it and targeting doesn't work for you and just go back to fixing a colony here and there? But what would be the solution to this problem? What would you do with your 10 surgeries if you can't work in zip code three? Go find a target area where the 10 surgeries is a high percentage of the cats is a substantial percentage, is more than 50%. Now, now, somebody else had a good answer, which was go a colony at a time. That's an excellent answer because you could break zip code three into smaller pieces, right? You could make that into quadrants and do smaller chunks of it as you work your way through. So that's an excellent answer. That That is um, another way to do it. Or you could move to like zip code one, where 10 surgeries is going to get you almost all of the cats fixed. So it's really important that you select the target area that matches the resources that you have available. I want to introduce you to another concept, which is being developed in Australia right now, which is really fascinating. And it's what we call micro-targeting. They took this map, RSPCA New South Wales in uh, Sydney, and they literally just mapped every single intake from this area over the course of a year or two. So the yellow dots are adult cats that came in the orange are kittens, and the red dots are actual feeders that the shelter was aware of. What they did was they sent people out to these exact locations to find the feeders and to find other people who were caring for the cats. And then they targeted those, especially the adults, the yellow circles, because the kit were in there. It was the adults they needed to 
were in the shelter already. They needed to get the adult cats fixed, but they literally went to the exact addresses, found the feeders, found the cats, and got them spayed and neutered. You know, they were literally going house by house, block by block. And this is the result. You can see uh, on the right there that the average intake from that particular area called Green Acre averaged about 283 cats a year before they started the micro-targeting. After one year, that intake went down by 31%, mostly because of kittens. And after two years, it was down 46% compared to the baseline year. Everywhere else in the service area, intake had been flat. And what's really fascinating about this study is that when they looked at how many cats were fixed per 1,000 people who lived in the target area, it came over the course of two years, it came to eight cats so eight spay-neuter surgeries per 1,000. If we look at the other examples that I gave earlier, which didn't involve micro-targeting, it, it involved entire zip codes. In Gainesville, their intake went down 66% after two years, but to get that, they had to spay and neuter 127 cats per 1,000 people. And in Tampa, where the intake went down 47% after a couple of years, they had to fix 60 and a half cats per 1,000 in order to get that kind of decline. So the decline in Tampa was similar to the decline in Greenacre, but they had to fix six times more cats in order to achieve that. So it suggests that this micro-targeting, going to exact blocks, going to exact people, exact addresses, is much more efficient if your goal is to reduce intake. On the flip side, that requires a fair amount more labor. You know, it's pretty labor-intensive. You have to have people there on the ground talking to people all the time. But in the end, the amount of resources in total that are used could be much less. So I think this is a kind of a really interesting development and a model that we want to keep our eyes on. And that if you're struggling with, I don't have enough surgeries, well, it could be that if you take this approach, you'll need a lot fewer. Do you need expert help taming feral kittens for adoption? Watch the Taming Feral Kittens and Cats full-length workshop video now available for free on the Urban Cat League YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com and search Urban Cat League to see all of their videos to benefit community cats. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs. Create cases for your clients and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. So when we talk about outreach, 
you're targeting and now you need to get information, right? You need to let people know this project exists. You need to find out where the cats are. There's three levels, three levels of outreach that are available. And each one, general media is going to kind of cast your widest net, right? You're talking about TV, radio, press, post it on your website, you put it on your Facebook page. This is going to broadcast beyond your target area. You're going to get calls like, well, I'm not in the target area, but I got cats indeed. That's why you should watch the Mobilizing Your Community webinar because we talk about how you want to have some resources available to everybody in your service area and not only be targeting so that there's always something to offer people, even if it's like borrow a trap. But in any event, that will get you a first wave of people from your target area. When that runs out and you're not getting response anymore, then you can move to a more narrow net, which is targeted media. And that's media that's focused within your target area. So you talk about billboards or yard signs, uh, door hangers, posting flyers on community bulletin boards. You can do postcard mailing. You can get lists from the US post office of everybody's address within a certain area. Uh, some groups have had success putting inserts in water bills. The municipalities supported them in that way. And these are all going to reach people specifically in your target. The last and more labor intensive, but ultimately almost always necessary level of outreach is boots on the ground. And that's where you have people in the community there's a face to it. It's not just an ad on Facebook. There's an actual person who's knocking on doors, who's walking and talking to people, who's tabling, who's attending community meetings. You might put on a vaccine or wellness clinic within that area to kind of build trust and draw people and information to you. You can do food shelter giveaways as a way, again, of supporting the community caretakers and uh, finding out who they are. In the end, it's hard to target effectively and get as many cats as you want and need to, to have a major impact if you don't have a presence on the ground and people can't identify a face with your program. That's why when Humane Society of Tampa Bay was doing their targeted project, they had somebody dedicated to working in that zip code and they had a wrapped vehicle that became easily recognizable and eventually she would pull up to do a project and people would come up to her and tell her where cats were and give her information as she became known and trusted. So building trust is a, is a big thing. So you want to also know your community so that your outreach is effective. What's the income level, which will determine like, well, what kind of challenges are people facing? What kind of help might they need? What's the ethnicity? What language do they speak? If everybody speaks Spanish and all your materials are in English, well, that could be an obstacle. What's the culture, especially when it comes to cats and to spay neuter? So some ethnic groups or religious groups are more hostile to spay neuter and, and there's more kind of education that needs to be done and talking about it. Some communities love cats, some don't. So you need to know all this. Are you dealing in an area that's mostly commercial or is it residential? And then who are your local leaders and influencers? You know, do you need to talk to your city council member? a local church minister, uh, who are the people who will help you spread your message and get you the information you need so that basically you know where the cats are and you know who the people are who are caring for them. So while this outreach is going on, as I've alluded to, you're basically gathering information about the cats. So in terms of the actual trapping, you need to know who's feeding them. It's just kind of basic TNR stuff, right? When do they feed them? Where do they feed them? How many cats are there? 
if you can get a history of cats in the area, that can be very helpful. Like they start off with two cats and somebody, you know, kept feeding them until they became 30. If you're in a community where the people are really fond of the cats, but there's been past efforts to eradicate them, that's going to have a big impact on your messaging because you may have trust issues that you have to overcome. And what's the general attitude in general? Is it hostile? Is it protective? Is it a little bit of both? Again, these are all things that will help you as you execute your project. So then the big question becomes, you know, who does the field work? And targeted projects that fail, usually, not always, but usually the reason is because the group that was executing the project thought that they could just kind of put out the word, hey, free surgery is available for community cats, come borrow a trap and bring them to the clinic. And they didn't get enough participation and they didn't have a backup plan. It's important to understand, you know, going back to that notion of you can control what you do, you can't control what other people do. And there are no magic words that are going to get all the people feeding cats in a target area to participate in your program. That's just the reality of TNR. People who feed, not all of them, most of them want the cats fixed, but most of them will not, in my experience, most of them will not be the ones to do the trapping. And it may be because for disability reasons or time reasons or an attitude of, I feed them, that's my part, I'm not going to do anymore, whatever it is, you have to focus on getting cats fixed, not on convincing people to participate with you. So whatever participation you can get is great, but you can't rely on that. You have to have your own manpower. And that could be staff, it could be an experienced volunteers, it could be a partner TNR group, it could be a combination, but you need to have your own trappers in there. Getting the information, working with the caretakers, getting them to do as much as you can get them to do, but you can't walk away from a group of cats because the people won't do the trapping. Otherwise, you're not going to get a high percentage. That's a really crucial part to doing a project successfully. Track your impact. That, that's really important too. There's a few ways to track impact. So remember, we're trying to maximize impact. So let's say it's you know intake. What you're seeing here is a graph of an actual targeted TNR project that was done in Cortez County, Colorado. And it's a great chart because you can see as the number of surgeries, the black dotted line goes up, there's a direct drop in cat intake. And then of course, correspondingly in cat euthanasia. So another example of how this targeted approach was very successful in this particular location. So the metrics you can use fall into two categories. There's direct outcomes and indirect outcomes. So a direct outcome is an actual count of cats. But there are two ways you can count cats. One's much harder than the other. What I'm calling an absolute census, that's when you literally count the cats. Think about it on a small scale, like you've got a backyard colony. You set up a feeding pattern, you have your caretaker take notes, and after a week or two, you you come to the, you know, there are 16 cats. So you can do this project, you just TNR them, uh, maybe a couple of the cats are adopted, and in six months, there are 14 cats. Okay, that's an absolute census. You know how many cats were there when you started. You know how many cats are there now. That's very difficult when we're talking about an entire zip code or an entire even neighborhood to actually be able to do that. At this point, requires a f- you to to do it. Um, like I'm on the island of Maui, a census was just done. We're going to get a number of cats on the island of Maui, but it's not done from counting every single cat. It's done through random representative sampling, camera traps, 
transit walks, all sorts of ways. It's uh, extrapolating from similar areas that were counted to similar areas that were not. It's it's a really rigorous, scientifically based approach to do a accurate census on that kind of scale. That's not going to be practical for hardly anyone. But what you can do instead is what's called, uh, what I'm calling anyway, a directional census. And that is, you can't necessarily find out how many cats were there at the start, but you can tell whether your intervention is causing the population to go up or down. So that would be something like what's called a transit walk, where you, you map out a route in your community. Let's say it's about a mile long and, you, and you're walking through neighborhoods and you do it at 6 p.m. on a Saturday in March and you have several people and as they walk, and this is a time when cats are out and being fed ideally, you do this walk and you take notes and you keep track and you take photos of all the cats you see and whether they're ear tipped or not, whether they're young kittens or not. And then six months later at 6 p.m. in September, you do the exact same walk at the same time of day and you take the same notes. If you do that type of a census over time, it won't tell you how many cats were in that area, but it will tell you whether the population is going up or down. If you want more information about doing that type of approach, there's a group called the Alliance for Contraception in Cats and Dogs. And if you go to their website, which is acc-d.org, they have lots of material about how to do something like that. Now, more commonly, people track indirect outcomes, and that may be because that indirect outcome is your goal, right? You may be more interested in reducing intake than you are in, well, is the cat population in the community going up or down? And there's kind of an assumed relationship between intake going up and down and cat populations going up and down, but that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of variables that can distort that. Nonetheless, if that's your goal, and anyway, if that's the best you can do in terms of metrics, then track intake. Euthanasia is usually a byproduct of intake going up or down, but you can track that too. Again, we mentioned complaint calls or requests for assistance. You can even track things like online kitten postings, but have some type of metric and find out what the baseline is before you start your project. And the reason that's so important, the reason that you're tracking is because those numbers will tell you whether you're achieving your goals or not. So in the example in Gainesville, Florida, where they were fixing all these cats, when targeted TNR projects first started, the expectation was there would be this major intervention. Metrics would be tracked and it would be a year or two or three after the project ended that you would start to see like intake dropping or other metrics improving. The reality of it is that the approach is so powerful that the advances and the improvements were being seen immediately as the project was going on. So in that Gainesville project, they saw a 66% drop in intake during the project itself. If they were tracking intake as undoubtedly they were, they could see that what they were doing was working and continue along that route. On the other hand, let's say they'd seen intake staying flat or going up, then they would have known we have to try something different we're not reaching enough people, we have to change our outreach, whatever it might be. But having some type of data to guide you, lets you know whether you need to adapt or not. And then there's always the issue that what happens when you run out of cats? It's a nice place to be, right? But let's say you got a grant and you're doing 500 cats in your target area. You've done uh, 350 and you can't find any more. 
And that can happen because as we were talking about, you know, this estimate on how many cats are there and how many surgeries I need, those are educated guesses and they'll often be wrong. So you get to 350 out of your 500 surgeries, can't find any more cats. Well, then you're at a crossroads, right? And you can go one of two ways. You can redouble your outreach efforts. You can try new forms of outreach. You can, you know, on the assumption that the cats are there, we're just not finding them, right? Or it could, you could say, well, our, our initial estimate was wrong and they're not there. So let's take our 150 surgeries and our time and effort and let's start in on a new target area. Which one of those ways you go, if you have data that you're tracking, that will help make that decision. So if you are seeing your metrics improve, your intake is really dropping dramatically and you're not finding cats, that would suggest there weren't as many cats there as you thought. On the other hand, if things are not improving to the extent that you want, then it makes a lot of sense to try more outreach to see if you can find if there are more cats there. So if you don't have that data, you're really pretty much flying blind. That brings us to the end of this presentation. I did want to point out a couple of other offerings that we have. So this series that today's presentation is part of is community-level TNR. We also have a series in partnership with the Community Cats podcast on the ground level work. We view the two as equally important. We've already had uh, Trapper Tips and Tricks. We have a class on drop traps, and you can watch the recordings on YouTube. And then later on, colony caretaking, and these are all free. I mentioned, I think, our basic training workshop. These are $10. They're uh, NACA approved for continuing education credit. And this is for kind of basic training for TNR. You know, hopefully this has given people something to think about and maybe start to change a little bit their approach. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.